Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that your girl is on Patreon. What else is going on podcast, aka Wego, W-E-I-G-O, is on Patreon. So if you feel so inclined and want to support your girl that way, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Wego podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Wego podcast, W-E-I-G-O podcast. Now, if you don't want to be on a monthly recurring thing, I totally understand that. But if you want to support, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash Wego, W-E-I-G-O. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash W-E-I-G-O. Because you know, a girl be trying to put in some work and a coffee could help me stay awake. So those are your two options. And if you don't want to do either of those things, if you could rate, review, and subscribe and share with your friends, I would love that. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the What Else Is Going On podcast, the intersection where pop culture life and real life meet up. Get ready to deep dive into all things reality TV and the dichotomy of loving the game, but not necessarily the players when they start to reflect real life issues like deep seated discrimination and a world rooted in racism. Feeling conflicted because I love Clip! 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 And I also have to chant Black Lives Matter. Buckle your seatbelts and brace yourself because my foot is off the brake and this intersection gets busy. So come along for the ride so we can see what else is going on. Thank you for coming back this week and listening to the What Else Is Going On podcast, podcast intersection where pop culture life and real life meet up. And if you don't know by now, I'm your host, Taria. All right, guys, let's jump right in. I'm going to give you my thoughts on a lot of things that I told you uh, in the first episode that I was going to give you my thoughts on, on this episode, episode two. Some of the things we know have gone on for quite a while and have been going on, however, I wanted to give my perspective. Uh, you guys haven't heard my perspective. You probably haven't heard of me, but you have now. So you're welcome. Just kidding, kind of. Anyway, let's go ahead and get right into my pop culture perspectives. So let's talk about Vanderpump Rules, the things that everyone has been talking about. So it's been over a month since Stassi Schroeder was dropped by sponsors and it being announced that her and Kristen, along with Max Boyens and Brett Capriani, would not be returning to Vanderpump Rules. One of Max's tweets from 2012 was, it upsets me that the N-word is not allowed to be said unless you're Black because, quite honestly, it's my favorite word, among many others. Interesting that he said that in his tweet, by the way, because he said, interesting that it's not allowed to be said unless you're Black because it's his favorite word. When, at the Vanderpump virtual reunion, he said he's one quarter Black on his mother's side thanks to his African-American grandfather, who was a pro boxer turned police officer in San Diego, California. He also tweeted in 2012, something about Asians that just make me want to punch them in the suck hole. Uh, there's more of his tweets. I'm sure you guys have read them all by now. If not, I'm not going to read them because they're just too kind of enraging a little bit. Um, like I said, there's more on the internet, but I don't care to read them. Now, Brett's tweets were from 2011 through 2013 and just full of racial epithets. So you can look them up also, they're out there. Now let's get to Stasi and Kristen. 
So we all know they called the cops and the army cops on their former castmate, um, Faith Stowers, who is African-American, i.e. black, which by the way, it's okay to say black. I'm fine with black. A lot of people I know prefer black. So for non-people of color listening, you can say black. So they call their, they called the cops. Like I said, civilian cops and the army cops on their former cast member, Faith Stowers, who is black. Faith retold this story on an Instagram live. I believe it was with a woman named Candace, who's also black. I don't know if she's from Siesta Keys, but it was another reality show person. And she said, there was this article on Daily Mail where there was an African-American lady. It was a weird photo. So she looked very light skinned and had these different weird tattoos. They showcased her and I guess this woman was robbing people and they called the cops and said it was me. Now on Jackie Schimmel's podcast, Stassi bragged about her and Kristen deciding over lunch and wine to call the cops. They just thought it was a funny thing to call the cops on Faith. I heard it the day it came out and she certainly was bragging about it, Stassi. Kristen also tweeted a picture of a woman, clearly not Faith, with the words, hey, Tweeties, doesn't this ex hashtag pump rules thief look familiar? Someone put her on MTV and gave her a platform for press. I didn't want to go there, but I'm going there. Stop. Kristen and Stassi also admitted to calling the military police to say Faith had gone AWOL, which Faith disputed, saying she was honorably discharged. Meanwhile, Faith told Page Six she hopes Bravo does better in the future with choosing who appears on their shows. I love Bravo, she said. You put them on a show because people look up to them. I don't necessarily know about that, but she said you put them on a show uh, for people to look up to them, but racism is learned. And when people are watching that and see people get away with racist comments time and time again, it is not okay. And after it was revealed that Stassi and Kristen were not coming back to Vanderpump Rules, Faith and Page Six said, I'm sorry, Faith told Page Six, I feel so vindicated. Studios and production are able to see blatant racism and make these positive changes and help move the race forward, help with the fight forward. I get what she's saying. However, I don't even think it's really necessarily Bravo taking steps to uh, remove people who've done blatantly racist things, because there's a difference between doing racist things, which is still foul, and also a straight up racist person, also a prejudiced person, and also a bigoted person. It's a lot of different words going on, but I don't think that the studio or Bravo did that because they're trying to help move the fight forward. I honestly think Bravo did that. We all know it because of what happened with George Floyd and the things that have been happening in African-American communities across the globe coming to light more and more and more. So I don't necessarily think they did it to move the fight forward because if they did, they would have came out and said the reason they're not coming back is due to the racist things they, Stassi and Kristen, have done and said. Okay, so anyway, then in March of 2017, Stassi did a podcast episode with Stephen McGee about hashtag Oscar so white. And by the way, the outlets that were reporting on this episode, they were saying that the episode had been deleted. It was not, unless she deleted it and then put it back up again. Because as of a few weeks ago in June, like when she had lost her sponsors and representation and everything, it was still up. I was still able to pull it up like the second or third week in June. It's just now not available because her podcast was scrubbed from the internet, but it was available. That episode has been there this entire time. Anyway, in that episode with Stephen McGee, 
Stephen McGee, uh, who was agreeing with her, which side note, what does that say about him? Because people seem to forget he was a part of this whole conversation too. And it makes me wonder about the reason why he was fired from Summer House. Because remember when it was rumored that he was fired because him and either one or both of the work of Swins said something racist? So the fact that he was in on this conversation with Stasi, agreeing with her, he seems to have been excluded from this narrative. However, he was a part of this conversation and agreeing with her. It kind of makes me wonder if the rumors of why he was fired from Summer House were true. Back to this podcast episode. So word for word, this is what Stasi said. I'm like really sick of everyone making everything about race. I'm kind of over it. And I'm the one person who's not allowed to say that because I'm a white, privileged, blonde, 28-year-old. Everyone giving their impassioned speeches about race and all of that stuff. I'm like, why is it always just about African-Americans? Why aren't the Asians being like, we're not represented? Why aren't the Native Americans and Latinas being like, we're not represented? And whenever they get upset, everyone has to go above and beyond to then make them happy. And I hate saying the word them because I'm not, not everybody's the same. I mean, the ones that are out there complaining about things. Maybe you weren't nominated because you didn't do that great of a job in your movie. Like, it's not about race. It's literally not about what you look like at all. It's like your acting ability. So like, what the actual F? All of this was because, mind you, I'm saying all of this, and I'm saying this now, not Sassy. All of this was because Moonlight, the movie Moonlight won the Oscar over that, what, majority or all white cast, La La Land, which we all know she was obsessed, infatuated with that movie, talked about it for endless podcast episodes, wore the colors. I believe her, Brittany, and Kristen did, I don't know if it was necessarily an ad for them, but like in all of the colors and snapping their fingers or whatever. So she went on that whole little racist rant because the rant was racist, because racist is when a race thinks that they are superior to another race and then goes after that race. So she went after the African-American community simply because Moonlight won and La La Land didn't. And she's saying it's not about what you look like. It's about your acting ability. That's what she's saying. She went after the African-American community by saying, why are they always complaining? Because we have to bend over backwards for them. Okay. Then she went on to say, the reason why it won was because it was like the message. It's groundbreaking because of the message. Winning best picture to me isn't about the effing message like it's not church. So when all of this re came out, and I say re because I remember the first time it came out and nothing happened to her. She kept all of her sponsors. And I remember because I remember where I was when I was listening to this episode because it really just, something just clicked inside of me. Then like, here I am, a black woman supporting this podcast, telling people about this podcast, uh, wanting to support her in other ways. And she says this, she says this ignorant stuff. And then she's got this co-host agreeing with her. And, you know, because she speaks the truth and nobody else would speak. And I remember an uproar on Twitter with African-Americans because I was a part of it. And I remember tweeting Rent the Runway because I frequently got things from Rent the Runway for years. And I know that was one of her sponsors then. And I remember tweeting them like, y'all really condone this, condone what she's saying? And others did too. I seen it. And I was even having conversations with some of the other fellow tweeters about this. But guess what? 
Nothing happened. She kept her sponsors, kept the episode up. It was a blip in the radar. So for everybody saying, why is this just now coming up? Nobody said anything then. Yeah, people said things then. It was just black voices that were muted. A lot of people said things then. Fast forward to her having that disgusting conversation about Me Too with another co-host. And she says all this ignorant stuff. And what happens immediately? People are tweeting to her sponsors. Went the one way. One of them. Sponsors were lost and the episode was pulled. So you've got to be honest. Even if you're not a person of color, look at that. It shows you what voices America values, what voices they choose to adhere to, right? So after all this re-came out again um, in the wake of George Floyd and the protests and the uh, rioting and the looting, Stasi comes out with an apology and she says, racially insensitive comments from my past have resurfaced, which side note, they're not racially insensitive, only they were wrong and I will prove my case. Anyway, racially insensitive comments from my past have resurfaced. It is important that I continue to take accountability for what I have said and done while pushing myself to do better. I have grown significantly from the person I was then and I'm still filled with the remorse and regret for the hurt I caused. Schroeder wrote, I'm grateful for the people in my life that continue to check me and push me to evolve into a more educated person. What I did to faith was wrong. I apologize and I do not expect forgiveness. I am also sorry to anyone else that feels disappointed in in me. I'm going to continue to look closer at myself and my actions to take the time to listen, to learn and to take accountability for my own privilege. It is important that I continue to take accountability for what I have said and done while pushing myself to do better. I've grown significantly from the person I was then, and I'm still filled with remorse and regret uh, for the hurt that I've caused. I'm sorry I've read that line twice, but you get it. So now listen to that apology. She didn't address that the words she said were racist. Not at all. She said racially insensitive. She didn't say they were racist. She said they were racially insensitive. And she didn't say she was wrong. What she said was, I take accountability for my words. That's like me. If I cuss somebody out because I felt a type of way, and then that person was hurt, angry, went and told, uh, let's say mutual friends or whatever. Say it was a friend. And I cussed the friend out because I was feeling a type of way, some type of way. And they went and told all of our mutual friends. And our mutual friends came to me and was like, yo, Taria, that was foul. You know what you said, blase, blase. And I said, you know what? I take accountability for my words. Taking accountability doesn't mean you're sorry. Taking accountability means in front of people, you're accepting, yep, I did that. Even if you're saying, yep, I did that. And I understand you're hurt. Where is the apology? I'm saying I understand. So to me, that wasn't an apology about her racist comments, not racially insensitive, but her racist comments. She apologized to Faith, though, and said what she did to Faith was wrong, not that her comments were wrong, okay? If you don't believe me, go back and read her apology. Now, notice what Kristen said. Kristen wrote on her Instagram, I've been taking some time to really process what I've been seeing, feeling, and learning, and I need to address something specifically that happened a few years ago with my former castmate, Faith Stowers. Although my actions were not racially driven, I am now completely aware of how my privilege blinded me from the reality of law enforcement's treatment 
of the black community and how dangerous my actions would have been to her. It was never my intention to add to the injustice and imbalance. I'm ashamed, embarrassed, and incredibly sorry. I will do better. I have to do better. To me, that was a totally different apology than Stassi. And actually, I think that Kristen outside of Stassi is a completely different person. Even inside of Stassi a little when it comes to certain things. But I definitely think that Kristen's apology was sincere. Notice Kristen even mentioned that her actions were not racially driven. She didn't say my racially insensitive actions. She didn't even try to justify or anything. She just said, I know that my actions were not racially driven. And then we had Lisa Vanderpump's apology, which was trash. And she claimed that she didn't know all of this was happening. You did because Faith in one of her interviews when this first happened, because contrary to the Stasi heads that think that this is all just coming out. Faith spoke out about this in 2018. I remember that too. She was on the Kevin Undergaro show. Is it called the Tomorrow Podcast or something like that on iTunes? And she talked about it. And if I'm not mistaken, she said that Stasi used Lisa Vanderpump's lawyers, pretty sure. So how did Lisa not know all of this was going on? And Faith was hooking up with your with Lisa's son Max. So you knew Faith and you knew this was going on because there was at one point she tried, she tweeted one time that she didn't even know Faith. So Lisa's apology was straight trash. Then, you know, all of this is going on. The world is talking about Stasi, and, you know, you have some staunch supporters that say people can say what they want. They have a right to how they feel and basically trying to excuse her and people make mistakes. Stasi's made the repeated mistake and just like Ariana said in the Vanderpump virtual reunion about uh, Jax. Well, actually, it was a flashback, but just like she said in the season finale about Jax, this is a pattern of behavior. So it is the person. It's not a mistake anymore. It's a pattern. So if a person continues to do the same thing over and over again, regardless of them saying, oh, I'm learning, I'm learning. No, that's just who you are. So after all this you know, it's come out and surfaced. Stasi then announced her pregnancy. She's about 2.5 seconds pregnant. And her and Kristen are posting the same exact type of pictures and being captured in quotes by the paparazzi doing the exact same kind of things. They're taking the uh, advisement of the new PR firm very seriously. As seriously as Stasi taking down the Black Lives Matter donation link that was in her bio when George Floyd was murdered because she had it then, then all of a sudden it's gone. Ironically, the same link that was slash is, maybe, I don't know, I haven't checked it lately, but is in Tom Schwartz's bio, even though he told Katie not to be a social justice warrior. Remember that? Yep, told her not to be a social justice warrior when she disagreed with the prank that Randall Emmett played on Tom Sandoval, having him fake arrested, which by the way, were real cops. I believe I heard that on, no, it wasn't Randall and Lala's podcast. I heard it on another podcast, Juicy Scoop. And I believe Lala and Randall said that they were real cops. I'm pretty sure it was either that or maybe it was theirs. I don't know. But the point is from one of their mouths, I heard that they were actual cops. So they got actual real cops to play this trick on time. Sandoval, Katie didn't find it funny. Thank you for being not just woke, but aware because people are walking around like, oh, I'm woke. Listen, when you go to sleep at night and you wake up in the morning, you're woke. But you may not even, you may not know what's going on around you in your house, outside. 
you're not aware. So it's not enough to be awoke. You need to be aware. So Katie was woke and aware, which I have to give her credit for. And remember when Lauren from Utah, who consistently appropriates black culture and feels connected to the black culture, thought that the prank was funny? I mean, she legit thought that the prank was funny. But yet she's so connected to the black community again. But she thought the prank was funny. She's been out there marching, making sure that she puts pictures of her marching. She put up the black box and photos of her and her soon-to-be stepchildren marching, but turned all of the comments off on those photos. But then she posts photos of herself with the comments on, but everybody, well, not everybody. Some people are telling her, oh, just how beautiful she was and blah, blah, blah. Why did you turn the comments off on the black box and on you marching? Oh, because you couldn't take the vitriol that may come for you saying Black Lives Matter. You're not about that this life that you claim to be about. You couldn't even face the comments. I know Katie had her comments on when she posted Black Lives Matter. And that, oh, that made me so mad on her Instagram because I went and looked. It made me so mad on her Instagram. And she's since taken down the picture that she had of her posing because there were people uh, commenting, you know, basically why you have the comments turned off. Because I was one of them. I, I legitimately wanted to know, not even to be a troll, but you walk around talking about, oh, does somebody want to get popped? And you have black producers that you made sure were shown when you were going into the studio and you talk about this life acting like you straight up from Compton, like you from the hood, knowing you're from Utah. But when it comes to black lives and them mattering, you were too scared to have your comments on. Legit, you are a white privileged girl from Utah. And like the saying goes, they want our rhythm and not our blues. Meaning you want the rhythm of African-Americans and you want to appropriate the language and the dress and the culture, but you don't want the blues. You can't handle the blues, which is why you, you had to turn off your comments on the black box saying Black Lives Matter because you couldn't handle that but you want the fun side in quotes of the culture. It was just so crazy and, and I'm confused. So I, I have some questions for you. Um, and I did comment this to her. Like I said, I wasn't trying to be a troll, but I was like really pissed. Like I'm watching this white, as a black woman, I'm watching this white woman walk around like she's down for the cause or whatever but was cowardice when it came to really being down for the cause. So I asked her, uh, why would you turn the comments off while showing your support for Black Lives Matter? The same woman from Utah who continually, again, appropriates Black culture, talks big things, but wouldn't bust a grape in Welch's backyard. And when Katie had a problem with Randall's joke played on Tom Sandoval, you said that's exactly what it was, a weird reaction. She still right now still thinks that that was not cool. And it is what it is. You can't make someone think something when they're stuck in that headspace. They're stuck in that headspace. Like, whatever. I thought it was effing hilarious. Yeah, side note. Yeah, Lala did say that. She said that on the Juicy Scoop podcast. That basically she know what's wrong with Katie because she thought the joke wasn't funny. But yet Lala thought it was hilarious. Anyway, back to my comment. 
I said, Katie is actually out here realizing that this isn't a joke. She has all 10 toes down to the ground. And yet you're out here protesting because the life of a black man was taken at the knee of a white cop. That is what this is about. African-American men and women whose lives are taken unjustly at the hands of police officers. This isn't a game or a photo op to us. We don't think it's hilarious. I would have commented on the black box picture for Black Lives Matter since that would be the appropriate place to comment. But again, your comments are turned off because you aren't really ready to go toes about something like this. Of course, she didn't respond back. I didn't expect her to. But I honestly, again, hope she read it. Not trying to be a troll, but I hope she read it and really think about what you're doing and the message you're putting out and how it looks to other black people. I take her as a joke as far as being down for black people and marching or whatever. Again, you want our rhythm. You want to appropriate the culture, but you can't handle the blues. What must Tupac think, by the way? You know, she did say on the Jenny McCarthy show that she believes he inhabited her. So what must Tupac be thinking? I must be going crazy inside this white woman's body, right? Back to Stasi. So you have this ignorant, white privileged woman. And I'm not saying ignorant in the terms of demeaning. If you look up what the word ignorant means, it's what she is. She's ignorant to some facts. So you have this ignorant, white, privileged woman giving her opinion based on conjecture, not at all factual. And I say that confidently. Black actors do not have all the same opportunities as white actors do. I'm going to give you two personal examples. So my kids are in the entertainment business. Take them back and forth to New York for auditions. They have a great manager. They've auditioned for great projects, movies, Broadway, all of that. I remember my son had got an audition for... It's called, oh my gosh, it's a Time Warner Cable for New York. It's going to be a big cable commercial. Went, got the callback, went to the callback. I got an email from his then uh, agency, because he's with the manager now, but his then agency. And the email said, if they go with the black family, Corey's booked it. But if they go with the white family, you know, obviously he wouldn't, that means he hasn't booked it. So we need you to keep him on hold for these dates. Needless to say, They went with the white family. Okay. Then my daughter, some years back, there was a big Verizon commercial with Terry Bradshaw and my daughter auditioned for it. They were auditioning girls from the East Coast and the West Coast. She auditions for it. She gets the call back. It's on a Saturday. Me, so my husband was off. So, because I'm normally the one that takes her back and forth, her and my son, you know, to New York from Baltimore. By the way, I used to live in Jersey, moved to Baltimore. Then they get in to this. So there's times when I've gone like seven days in a row, another subject. But anyway, you know, I support my kids. So who are now my daughter, my youngest is 16. My middle son is 18. And then my oldest is 23. But so we go up there for her callback for this big Verizon commercial. She does it. At this time I was temping um, some days on the days that I didn't have to take the kids to New York. So I'm at my temping job and I get a call And her manager, because now, you know, they're with the manager. And she says, I need to ask you a question. What did Sky do in that room? And I'm like, huh? She goes, I need you to tell me. What did she do in that room for the Verizon commercial? And I'm like, um, and she's like, because she booked the part. And I told her, I want to scream so bad, but I'm at this, you know, temp job or whatever. She was like, I'm so proud of her. You guys always Uh, make your auditions. There are people even that live in the city that don't make them. You guys do whatever I ask. I'm so proud of you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. She sends me all the information, her fitting date, 
commercial date, blah, blah. We get to the fitting and we see another black gentleman because the lead was going to have a brother. We see a black gentleman, but then we see uh, two other young guys and then we see two other uh, white girls. And then we go to the clothes and we see a rack that says the lead's name, which is not my daughter's name. And then we see a rack that says friends, like friends of the lead in the commercial. And I remember talking to the gentleman that was to play my daughter's brother. He's black, of course. And we were like, what is going on? They ended up, we find out they end up deciding to go in a different direction and went with a white family. So it's not surprising to me when you, when I hear Hollywood actors talk about Hollywood, African-American actors talk about that. It's still hard for them. They could be, uh, Famous as I don't know what, and it's still hard for them compared to white actors. So to hear Stasi, because her favorite movie, Moonlight, I mean La La Land didn't win when side note, she never even watched Moonlight. Okay? So Moonlight won. She's pissed because La La Land didn't win. And she never even watched Moonlight. To hear her talk about hashtag Oscar So White, to refresh your memory. Some black actors were going to boycott the Oscars because a lot of black, well, not even a lot because there's not a lot of black movies made, but the few that black movies that have been made throughout the years, not, not, and don't come back at me and say, well, Moonlight won. Yeah, that was one. So they did the Oscar so white to boycott Oscars because if you do your research throughout the years, there's always been white movies, always been white actors, right? So to hear her talk about It has nothing to do with race, but everything to do with talent. When black actors don't always get the opportunities that white actors get really piss me off. And I think that Stassi, and I remember tweeting this to her, I think she may have forgot the Sony hack. You guys remember the Sony leak some years ago and emails from the higher ups that Sony were leaked? Here's one of the emails that was leaked. A Sony producer sent an email to Sony chairman Michael Linton saying that Denzel Washington should not be cast in films that will get play overseas because he is black. I believe that the international motion picture audience is racist. In general, pictures with an African-American lead don't play well overseas, the producer wrote. But sometimes Sony seems to disregard that a picture must work well internationally to both maximize returns and reduce risk, especially pics with decent sized budgets. So we know that Sony wants their movies to play internationally too. So you think they're gonna make one movie with a certain set of actors for the American audience. And then that same movie with a different set of actors for the international audience or overseas audience. No, they're going to make the one movie. And because they don't think that black actors do well, guess which actors won't get the leads in these movies, African-Americans. So again, for Stassi to say the ignorant stuff she said about it's not your skin, it's your acting ability. Well, we're not even being given the chance to display the acting ability in the movies. And FYI, Denzel Washington in The Equalizer grossed over $191 million globally, with 50% of that total coming from the overseas market. The movie film 12 Years a Slave grossed over $130 million in the overseas box office alone. Thank you. Next, as Ariana Grande would say. And as for Stasi and Kristen calling the police on faith, I want to share with you guys a quick story about a young man just had a baby 
Um, and his name was John Crawford. John Crawford was shopping in Walmart and picked up an unpackaged BB slash pellet air rifle inside the store's sporting goods section and continued to shop in the store. He was on his cell phone. Another customer, a white man named Ronald Ritchie, called 911 claiming that he was scared and that a black man had a gun and had been pointing the gun at fellow customers. And just so you know, again, I'm going to make it clear, Ronald Ritchie, when he called 911, he said a black man. Not a man, a black man. Some people may say, oh, he was being descriptive. Okay. Anyway, two officers of the Beaver Creek police arrived at the Walmart shortly after their dispatcher informed them of a subject with a gun in the pet supplies area of the store. And Officer Sean Williams shot John Crawford, who later was pronounced dead at Dayton's Miami Valley Hospital. According to initial accounts from Officer Williams and the other officer involved, David Darkow, John Crawford did not respond to verbal comments to drop the BB gun and lie on the ground and eventually began to move as if trying to escape. Believing the BB gun was a real firearm, one of the officers fired two shots into Crawford's torso and arm. However, it was revealed that there was footage of the incident from Walmart's surveillance cameras and that John Crawford was actually, like I said a few minutes ago, talking on his cell phone while holding the BB pellet air rifle when he was shot to death by Officer Williams. In other words, when he was murdered by Officer Williams. The video also shows the officers fired immediately without giving any verbal commands and without giving John Crawford any time to drop the BB gun, even if he had heard them, because again, he was on his cell phone and they were behind him. And Ronald Ritchie, uh, the Caucasian slash white gentleman, the coward who called the police to the Walmart, he recanted his statement that led to the fatal shooting. And he then said, at no point did he shoulder the rifle and point it at somebody. But he did try to maintain that John Crawford was waving it around. So him and the police, Ronald Ritchie and the police lied. Didn't know that Walmart surveillance camera was going to catch it all. So they lied. Following the shooting, a grand jury decided not to indict any of the officers involved on charges of either murder, reckless homicide or negligent homicide. They decided not to call it a homicide. The U.S. Department of Justice conducted its own investigation. Sean Williams, the officer who shot John Crawford, was removed from normal duties until the federal investigation was complete. In 2017, the Department of Justice announced that it declined to seek federal charges against the officer who returned to full duty soon after. The family filed lawsuits for negligence and wrongful death against Walmart, the city of Beaver Creek, and the police officers involved. And in May of 2020, yes, May of 2020, I believe I said earlier this was in 2014, in May of 2020, the city of Beaver Creek and the family finally settled their suit for $1.7 million, which I'm so glad they got some form of justice, but it won't bring their son back and it won't bring John Crawford back to his daughter. Now, one interesting tidbit that I need to mention is that there was a white woman, 37-year-old Angela Davis, who heard the police gunshots and tried to flee the scene, but she suffered a heart attack and she died. And her death was ruled a homicide. John Crawford, who was murdered by the police, his was not. So for all those Stasi heads saying her plotting and calling the cops on faith was funny or an accident or she's learning or trying to justify it, understand that there is an inherent danger 
when a black person has the police called on them, especially if it's a white person that's doing the calling. You need to be not just woke to these things, but aware of these things. This man lost his life over a call to the police. Now, in my last episode, episode one, the inaugural episode, if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen. In that last episode, I did tell you I was going to go into more depth about the newest Royal Housewife of New York, Leah, in my personal thoughts. So I mentioned in that last episode that Leah was brought in by Bethany. I recapped it in that episode, but I'm just going to do a quick recap for those who may not have heard it or forgot. Uh, Bethany started filing. I'm sorry. Bethany started following Leah on Instagram. They had the same facialist and Leah didn't know it. Leah said she got a text from the facialist and unbeknownst, again, unbeknownst to her, it was unbeknownst to her that her and Bethany even had that, had the same facialist. She got a text from the facialist and then she went to uh, the facialist and she was like, you know, Bethany Franklin wants me to ask you if you would ever be a housewife of New York. Leah still hasn't met Bethany and once she was cast, she stopped following Leah on Instagram. The background on Leah. She started the Married to the Mob clothing line after she won a lawsuit against the police. In 2002, she was involved in a physical altercation with the New York Police Department where she suffered several injuries. Leah said that she and her ex-boyfriend, Daniel Leff, were saying goodnight outside the Hammerstein ballroom when she suddenly felt Daniel being rapidly pulled from her by several individuals whom she recognized to be uniformed police officers. She later went on to confess that the cops were beating up a friend of mine outside the Hammerstein ballroom at around 4 a.m. I had a bottle in my hand and though I shouldn't have, I threw it and it hit the cops. That's when the cop punched me. The hit caused her to suffer contusions, bruises, and a fractured tooth. She sued and in her lawsuit, she said she was put in extreme physical and emotional distress and wrongfully confined to a holding cell. She won a $75,000 lawsuit, and that's what she used as an investment, along with help from her ex-partner, Rob Christophero, who was her daughter's dad, and they started Married to the Mob. In addition to her clothing line, <laughs> Married to the Mob, which she claimed paved the way for girl streetwear, um, baby fat anyone? Anyway, Leah has a podcast called Improper Etiquette, and during 2017, Leah slammed Saturday Night Live's Michael Che, who is an African-American man, for his dating habits after they matched on a dating app. She said, I met a comedian. I've dealt with a few comedians. They are the worst. I don't even know why I entertain this, but I have to say, Michael Che is so arrogant and so rude and disrespectful that I cannot even believe that someone, she said, that's what she just said. I cannot believe that someone, that was it. She then said, you're like a D-list celebrity to me, whatever. That's why I don't even care that I'm saying his name. I'm not like blowing up Jay-Z's spot. He just kept texting me going, I'm fat. Does that turn you on? And I'm like, you're fat. I think I've seen you and you're not fat. Then apparently Michael Che fired back by sharing his messages with Leah with page six. He stopped answering Leah and told her he didn't want to meet up with her. So apparently this was their text chain according to page six. So Leah says, you don't ask any questions. You're so odd. And then Michael Che replied, you got that from eight innocuous texts. She then texts, do you ever want to meet up or are we just going to text each other randomly until eternity? Well, I did think it was odd you kept saying you're fat. He replied, I don't want to meet up. You text really strange declarations looking for a reaction and I don't want to know 
what's the real life equivalent of that? Which side note, it might the real life equivalent of that might be when she was throwing those tiki torches at Ramona's house. But anyway, that was a text exchange. Sounds like to me, maybe he left some out and didn't share the full text, which if he did kind of whack, he should have shared them all. But that is what he did share. The message exchange ended with Leah sending Michael Che her podcast about him. So she sent him, and not only did she do an episode about him, she sent it to him. Now I have to say, she did an entire podcast episode based off some text exchange and getting rejected. A whole podcast about someone who she said is on the D-list. To me, that's something to think about. If he's on the D-list and not worth it, okay, your podcast is your form and outlet your freedom to talk. I get it. I'm here doing one too. Matter of fact, I do too. Tales from a Butterfly. Check it out on iTunes. Anyway, so I get it. You're free to do and say whatever you want on your podcast. That's what it's for. We should be open and honest. But then you not only do it, you send it to him for what? Because you wanted a reaction out of him. If she didn't want a reaction out of him, she would have just said it, moved on, whatever. But again, she sent it to him. I don't know. And I just, to me, it just seems odd. And also, Leah is an example of white privilege, as is Lauren from Utah. Uh, Leah did an interview on YouTube in the summer of 2016 from Snobbet titled Leah McSweeney. Putting a photo of your stuff naked on Instagram isn't empowering. So that was the title of her episode on Snobbet. Leah McSweeney, putting a photo of yourself naked on Instagram isn't empowering. She said, I'm not saying I'm pro Donald Trump at this point. I don't like either of them, honestly. He just is who he is. What you see is what you get with him. And I don't feel like he's hiding much. I think that Donald Trump is lying about being racist. I don't think that's a good thing, but he does business with tons of Muslim people. Are you kidding me? With the buildings and all that, he can act anti-Muslim. I know he's not. He's smart. He's saying what the country wants to hear, like middle America, because he knows that's how he's going to get votes. Then recently, a couple of weeks ago on Watch What Happens Live, Leah was on Watch What Happens Live with Tinsley, I believe. And she said, you know, back in 2014, well, let me go back, Andy, mentioned that she was a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, loudly protesting, loudly showing her support. So she said, you know, back in 2014, when Eric Garner was murdered, the Black Lives Matter protest started back then. And I was marching back then too, because not only did I have my own incident with the NYPD that was pretty traumatizing and left me thinking, imagine if I had been a black guy, how much worse it could have been. But you know, I've grown up with black friends and growing up with heroes that are black women like Little Kim and Oprah and loving black music and black culture. So it's like, I feel pretty connected to those issues. On an episode of The Real Housewives of New York, Leah told Luann, my silver lining was I won $75,000 from the cops and then I started my own business. She also mentioned on this Watch What Happens Live regarding the 2016 election, she said, I didn't vote. That was the one presidency, I didn't vote. Yeah, people were really upset with me. I honestly was just disgusted all around. I honestly feel like we should get rid of presidents. I don't know why we have one person representing an entire country. And my father's like, it's been going on for 200 years, but it seems archaic to me. Like, why can't we have a group of very smart people make the decisions? Okay. Leah threw a bottle at a police officer, a water bottle. It hit them, and she said her silver lining was $75,000. Sandra Bland, a black woman, supposedly did not signal on the highway. When she was stopped, she asked the cop why he pulled her over. 
She was smoking a cigarette in her car. In her car, smoking a cigarette, she asked the cop while she was pulled over. He told her to put the cigarette out. She said, no, it's her cigarette. He told her to put up, put the cigarette out and get out of the car or he was going to light her up with the taser. He then ends up dragging her from the car. His body cam caught all this. Ends up dragging her from the car. She ends up in police custody. They have a video of her. She was on the phone, called, making her one call, walking around, sitting on the bench, in a jumpsuit, okay, in a holding cell, all because she supposedly didn't signal and then asked the officer, not disrespectfully, because it's all on dash cam, ended up asking the officer why she was being stopped. She was dragged from her car, taken into police custody, put in, in the orange jumpsuit, and three days later, she ends up dead. The police say it's suicide. <sighs> so her family presses charges, you know, does a lawsuit. The grand jury recommended that no criminal charges in connection with Sandra Bland's death, and prosecutors dropped the cop's perjury charge. Oh, because he lied on the stand. He lied. And I believe it was he lied. And you can look it up. But he lied about either not dragging her out of her car or what have you. But it was his dash cam. Showed. So he lied. So the federal grand jury recommended no criminal charges in connection with Sandra Bland's death. And the prosecutors dropped the cop's perjury charge, even though he lied and it was proven in exchange for him giving up his credentials and agreeing never to work as a police officer again. Since then, footage from Sandra Bland's cell phone has come out and really corroborated that the officer was so out of line in dragging her out of the car. So basically that the officer was at fault in all this. And yeah, he murdered Sandra Bland. I don't think what the police did to Leah was right. I think it was police brutality. Yes, she threw a water bottle at them and it hit them. But for them to punch her in the face, then she was taken into police custody. And again, she filed a lawsuit. And a part of that lawsuit was her being wrongfully taken into police custody. Now, the fact that the policemen were attacking her friend, they weren't attacking her. And she threw a bottle. I imagine if that was a black woman, not even just a black man, a black woman, charges of assaulting a police would have been filed. But she filed and won, which I have to say, as a woman, I'm glad that she won because there's no way they should have handled her like that. But you have to see the blatant differences and how this white woman who threw a bottle at a cop was treated. And then a black woman was driving, was pulled over because supposedly she didn't signal, dragged from her car because she asked why she had to put her cigarette out and she's dead three days later. And the officer lied because dash cam showed something different than what he said. And they don't press charges on him. They drop the perjury charge. He just has to agree to give up his credentials and never be a police officer again, but he's not in jail. The disparities of these two women. So that's why sometimes it's hard for me to get into Leah because all of this goes through my mind, especially what's going on in the world. And for, for years, I'll admit that I've watched Bravo and certain franchises calling out the Real Housewives of OC have made me feel a certain way as a black woman. But I'm like, oh, well, you know, 
you try to just push it to the back of your mind because growing up as a black person, you're taught to just everything is, you don't speak on things that we see that are blatantly racist. You just push it down because you got to live life because you won't be believed. And I think that carries over into all aspects of your life. So when you see it on TV, it's almost like you wait for a white person to call it out before you then call it out. But those times are changing and I'm so glad and I've taught that to my kids. Call out injustice when you see it on both sides. Call it out, you know, when you see it. So it's hard for me to watch Leah sometimes to watch her at Ramona's pulling out tiki torches and throwing them because of the white patriarchy. And you are a white privileged woman who won $75,000 because police did a horrendous thing to you after you hit them with a water bottle and you have black women that end up dead for simply asking questions. So that's what makes it hard. I think that Leah, again, is an example of a white privilege that is like in your face you know, with her being on the show. And they're all privileged white women in these all-white franchises, you know, and it's all in our face. But it's just, I don't know, to hear her, you know, speak about the Black Lives Matter and be so adamant about, you know, because Oprah is her hero and or who she's looked up to like that. I don't know, that just doesn't do it for me, I guess. And then with her talking about Michael Che, I'm, and hey, correct me if I'm wrong. And if you disagree, please, Let me know. I'm open to hearing other opinions on this. There are certain things I'm not open to hearing other sides on because when I've lived through racism, no one can tell me any different. But on this, I'm open to hearing how you see Leah after hearing what I think. But it's just difficult for me. And like I said, she put all that out about Michael Che, a black man, and it may not have been racially motivated. In her mind, it probably wasn't. It just looks that way to me. Again, I could be totally wrong. And I'll admit that, but it just feels that way to me and looks that way to me. You know, and the casualness with which she talks about not voting, it irritates me because for her, a white woman in America, not voting doesn't matter to her because it seems to me her life doesn't really change either way. It's not affected either way. And she's not looking to put people in office that look out for her best interests because guess what? America does that anyway. So for me, her love for little Kim, her mentioning and quoting Jay-Z wearing the little Kim dress and her having black friends and having black heroes doesn't equate to her being an advocate for the black community. And she definitely isn't able to identify with the issues and struggles that black people go through and have been going through. But again, maybe I'm wrong and maybe she gets it. Just my opinion. I do want to say this because I feel like I should be as loud as I am with my disagreement. I feel like I should be as loud with not necessarily compliments, but things I do see that are good. On this latest episode of Roni, which I'll be recapping in the next episode, I did like how she stood up for Elise in the fact that when Ramona wanted to take her to a different room, she was like, nah, I don't like gaslighting. So we need to make sure you know that Ramona is really hearing Elise. So I definitely appreciated that for her. But I'll get more into that when I recap Roni. But anyway, that's how I feel about Elise. If you feel different, I welcome your opinions. It's just, like I said, for me, a Black woman and watching what's going on today, it's hard. And going back to AC for a minute. I mean, not AC, OC. 
we all know that they're Trump supporters. We all know that how they feel about certain things. The comments Kelly Dowd made about COVID and God's way of thinning the herd and then apologizing. And from day one, when Kelly came on the scene, I always thought she was beautiful. I love her style, her rings, all of that, her lipsticks, because it's kind of like my style, the clothing wise and all of that. So I can identify with that. But I always, I never liked her because she's rage and regret. Rage and then regret. And it's always like, she rages or she does something so out of pocket. I mean, just like so off the wall. Sometimes I want to be like, try that in Atlanta and see what happens. Or try that even in maybe New York and see what happens. Or, or Jersey, rather. Try that in Jersey and see what happens. But she says and does these nasty things. Goes so over the cliff with them. Person gets upset. She apologizes and then she becomes the victim because the person doesn't just readily accept her apology or forget about it. So she does this rage and regret thing. And I'm, I, I just was never here for it. But as far as the rest of the cast with OC, it's really hard watching them knowing their beliefs, knowing what they think. And I'm wondering if they have any black friends. I've, I've always been curious of that. I've wondered that. And it's also close to home now because my son is going to Chapman University in Orange County. Uh, he's supposed to be going to live on campus. If they open up, we don't know what's going on now because some people don't take the virus seriously, which is another issue. And their numbers are growing. And he's supposed to be going to live out in Orange County. Now, if you have not seen recently on the news, there's been five young African-American men that have been, I'm going to say lynched. I'm not going to say hung. I'm going to say lynched. Some of them out of Orange County. One, they're declaring, it, they tried to declare two of them a suicide. Then the police said they would reinvestigate. And now just a couple of days ago, they've said that one is definitely a suicide. I don't know. I haven't uh, read that article to see what exactly about it made them say it was suicide. But if you know, please let me know. But it hits close to home because I'm sending my son, 18 years old. He's bright, brilliant, beautiful. That's how I see him but I'm sending him to Orange County. And I watch these women on TV. That's the crazy thing. It's like, I watch these women on TV, right? And now I'm like, when you know their beliefs and what they think, and it starts making you wonder. And I'm nervous to send him out there. I'm definitely nervous. So that's why I think all of this is hitting even closer to home for me. And it's, it's a struggle. It's conflicting because, again, I've loved these shows for years and I'm not necessarily watching them through different eyes. A lot of it I've suspected as far as the racism or whatever. But to see it is it can be disheartening and confusing, like, oh, my gosh, are you joking? So that's what I'm dealing with now. And that's what this podcast is going to explore. So I thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Before I bring this episode to a close, With everything that's going on in this civil rights movement that we're having, there's a lot of words being bandied about and a lot of words being thrown around. And a lot of times people may not understand a word, may not educate themselves, even though I hear so many people saying, I'm taking a step back to educate myself, to learn things, Ramona, anyway. Um, But I don't know if they're really educating themselves. So I wanted to take just a few minutes to define some words that we've all heard, but may quite not know the meaning or really even know what the symbols represent. So the Confederate flag, people 
I've seen on uh, Facebook or like, we need to preserve our heritage. Donald Trump, we need to preserve our heritage. The symbol of the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag recognizes, or rather is a symbol for the states that fought in the Civil War to preserve slavery. If you don't get it and don't get why people are angry, white and blacks alike, and Asian and Chinese, people of all colors are coming together like, yo, this flag isn't cool. So if you don't get the outrage, why the president of the United States, he's supposed to be everyone's president, why he is defending the Confederate flag, then you are a part of the problem too. Because again, that flag recognizes the states that fought in the Civil War to preserve slavery. Next, defunding the police. Defunding the police does not mean taking away the police departments. There is an ad currently running uh, for the president's campaign because he's running for office again and it shows fires uh, burning and looting or whatever, all this mayhem. And then it shows someone calling the police and it's like, basically the police aren't responding because the police are being defunded. That is not how it works. Defunding the police doesn't mean taking away from the police, doesn't mean delaying the police. Defunding the police is not leaving them with zero dollars. It means taking certain funds from them and redistributing them to community social services. So for instance, if in Maryland, let's say the police get $50 million a year, right? And 10 million of that is for the homelessness problem that's going on. Defunding would be taking that $10 million from the police because the police are not responsible for the homeless. Taking the $10 million and giving it to community social services so the homeless can go there and get help. Uh, Maybe given a place to stay. Maybe if they're homeless and on drugs, being put into a rehab facility to clean up, given job training, and it will come out of that $10 million that was initially allocated to the police, but then reallocated to a community social service. So that's what that means to defund the police. Does not mean to get rid of the police. Microaggressions. A comment or action that subtly and often unconsciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudiced attitude toward a member of a marginalized group, such as a racial minority. An example of that would be someone saying to me, a black woman, uh, me, me going up for a job, right? It's me and let's just say four other non-people of color. And let's say I get the job and someone walking by and saying, good thing there's affirmative action. That's a microaggression because affirmative action was created to make sure that African-Americans and not just African-Americans, people of all colors that are non-white get the same chance at jobs as white people get and for women too. So that's what affirmative action was created for. So if somebody walked by me and said, "Mm, congratulations on getting that job. It's a good thing affirmative action was created. That's a microaggression. Systemic versus systematic. Systemic is an adjective that primarily means having, showing, or involving a system, method, or plan. I'm sorry, that was systematic. Let's go back. Systematic, an adjective that primarily means having, showing, or involving a system, method, or plan. Systemic is an adjective that means of or relating to a system. 
It is especially used to describe some phenomenon, an illness, a social problem that affects every part of an entire system. So that's the difference. It's almost like they're kind of sort of the same. BLM, Black Lives Matter. Now, the Black Lives Matter is an organized movement advocating for nonviolent civil disobedience in protest against alleged incidents of police brutality against African-American people. The movement began with the use of the hashtag Black Lives Matter on social media in 2013 after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the shooting death of African-American teen Trayvon Martin in February 2012. Let me give you the background on that real quick. George Zimmerman was a man that wanted to be a police officer and failed the academy or failed the test twice. He then became neighborhood watch. Trayvon Martin was a 16-year-old visiting his dad for the weekend, going to the store, bought Skittles and an iced tea, Arizona iced tea and Skittles, and had his hood on. He was walking, minding his business. George Zimmerman places a call to 911 and says he sees somebody that basically looks, uh, they look like they could be a troublemaker, basically. Trayvon is just walking with his Skittles and Arizona iced tea with a hoodie on, okay? Just walking, minding his business. George Zimmerman calls and says, basically, he looks like he could be causing trouble. On the 911 call, which is recorded, and you can hear it for yourself, they tell George Zimmerman, do not pursue. The word pursue means to go after. And the reason you go after someone is because they're going away from where you are. So Trayvon Martin was walking, minding his business, walking away from where George Zimmerman was. George Zimmerman calls the police, says he feels like he could be trouble. They tell him, do not pursue, okay? It is recorded. I'm sorry I'm getting so hyped, but it just angers me because what if this was my son or your son listening? He walks away. Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman hangs up. Again, I have to say this again. After being told, do not pursue. Pursue means to go after because they're going in a different direction than you, walking away from you. So after George Zimmerman hangs up, he rolls up on Trayvon Martin and touches him. If, if I was walking, my hoodie up, on the phone with a friend, it was on the phone, and somebody grabs my shoulder to turn me around, most people would swing first and ask questions later because you all know what's going on. So the phone drops. He's on the phone with his friend, and he starts fighting George Zimmerman. Like, yo, what's going on? Like, he was shocked. George Zimmerman shoots him. His friend heard everything on the phone. George Zimmerman goes to trial, and he gets off. So that's when the Black Lives Matter movement was formed. And there you have it, guys. I hope that you enjoyed the message. I hope that you leave informed, maybe knowing some things you don't know. I hope you leave seeing some of these housewives and these reality stars that I've discussed from my point of view, whether you agree or not. And again, I'd be more than happy to talk about what you think. The podcast is titled What Else Is Going On? So my Instagram handle, because that was kind of long, is Wego, W-E-I-G-O podcast on Instagram. That's what my name is, at Wego podcast. So hit me up, hit me up in my DMs. Let me know what you think. Um, I want to thank you guys so, so, so much for listening. Thank you for sharing. Please share the podcast. Thank you for rate reviewing and subscribing. And the last episode, I left you with a quote. This episode, I want to leave you with this thought from Nina Parker of 
E's nightly pop. She said, and these are two non-people of color who have friends that are black. Racists are really loud. So if you don't agree with that, why are you silent? If you care about me, I need you to speak up because these racists are loud. If you do not agree with how people are treated, if you do not agree with seeing a man lose his life and beg for his mother on the ground, I need you to say something. I need you to challenge your friends who make racist jokes. I need you to challenge your friends who have microaggressions about why that black girl got hired and not them. I need you to challenge your friends who make statements that aren't right, but you don't want to rock the boat. It's not about the racist character. We know they're not thinking with a proper mind. It's about yours. What are you going to do in this climate to make it different? Or would you just rather be comfortable and complain when things blow up in your face? Because I'm tired. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.